Alright, as Eric said, we're continuing in the Gospel of John, and last week we got to work through the text together and we got to see where Jesus clears the temple, because again, they were using the temple in a way that it wasn't supposed to be used. It's a place of worship, of prayer, and the people were selling animals and exchanging money and doing other things that they shouldn't have been doing there. And at the end... There's this dialogue between Jesus and the officials, the, those who were the authority, and they came and said, tell us, why, why, do, you, why do you do this? Why, how do you have this authority to do what you've just have done? And he explains to them that if you tear down this temple in three days, I'll raise it up again. And what they didn't understand, and the disciples figured out later, is that he was talking about his own body. And in that statement, he's showing that he has authority. He's showing that He's the only true temple. He's the better temple. And He's the one that's created all things, holds everything together, as we saw back in John 1. So we ended there, and we didn't jump right into chapter 3, because this next sec- section kind of introduces us to what the, what this, what's going to happen in chapter 3. And so we stop there, and so we're going to pick up in John chapter 2, verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. We'll start there. We've already talked about last week how they were in Jerusalem. This is the Passover, one of the feasts that they needed to go to Jerusalem for. Passover reminds us of that Jesus is the Passover lamb ultimately. This reminds us of Exodus where God's wrath was being poured out on Egypt for keeping his people. And he pours out his wrath, but he says, I'm going to kill all the firstborn of every family unless you take the blood of this lamb and put it over your doorpost. And again, that is ultimately a reminder that it is the blood of the perfect lamb, Jesus, the perfect sacrifice is how death passes over us, how the wrath of God passes over us. So we knew that they were there, but look at this. This is interesting. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. How many would get super encouraged about that? Many believe in His name. Like, do we get excited about people becoming Christians? Amen, Amen, right? We want many people to believe. And does the text say that many believed, or does it say they they kind of believed? What does it say? Right in the first, that, that sentence, that verse. They believed, right? They actually believed. So we would rejoice. And they believed when they saw the signs He was doing. We talked about in previous weeks where Some of the signs that Jesus did, again, ultimately not just miracles, but signs, because signs point to something greater. And again, even when Jesus was doing these things, he's always pointing to himself as the Messiah, something greater than what's currently there. But what's interesting is we move to verse 24. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. I got to be I got to be really open and honest with you this morning. These verses absolutely terrify me. They absolutely terrify me. Now, why would that be? These people are seeing Jesus. They're seeing these signs that He's doing, and they believe in Him. They believe in His name. But Jesus, on His part, did not entrust Himself to them because He knew all people. This goes back to what we've talked about before, that there's, there's belief, 
and then there's belief. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's belief. Uh-uh. But then there's, there's belief, right? There's belief like the demons have. That doesn't save you. So what's interesting is they're coming, they're believing. So when we have people come here and they want to be Christian, we're excited. Yes, you want to be a Christian. We don't know the heart. Jesus does. This is a great example of how Jesus knows everything. Except specifically the time of the hour of his return, because he chooses not to know that. But in particular here, he does not entrust himself to all people, or to them, because he knew all people. So again, does Jesus know you? Does he know what's in your heart? He does. You might say, I believe. As your pastor, or if you're a guest and not a member, as your pastor for today, I don't want you to walk out of here thinking that, oh, I believe, when really you don't believe. So I'm hoping we can get to the bottom of that today. So what is it that Jesus knows about these people that concerns him? Verse 25, and he And he needed no one to bear witness about man. He doesn't need someone to come along and explain to him about mankind. Jesus knows. Remember, go back to John 1. He's created everything. He's created you. He holds your life together. He doesn't need someone else to tell you or tell him about you. He doesn't actually even need you to tell him about you. In fact, I would argue he knows you better. He knows me. He knows us better than we know ourselves. For he himself knew what was in man. Turn with me quickly to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17. Jeremiah 17. It begs the question, what is it that's in man that Jesus knows? That's, in this moment, causing him not to entrust himself to these people. What is it that's actually inside of man? Many of you have heard me say many times, we talk about the heart and that all people have a heart of stone. Just so you know, if you're not a Christian, you have a heart of stone. I love you, but I'm being honest with you. You have a heart of stone. If you're a Christian, you've been given a new heart, which as we heard read earlier today. You've been given a heart of flesh. The thing is, that heart of flesh, sometimes we can go so long without really being in the Word and prayer and things, that can get a little callous sometimes. Listen to this carefully because I'm telling you the narrative of this culture we live in, the narrative of what's on TV, the narrative is the opposite of this verse, these verses. Listen carefully. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Realize that if you do not have a new heart yet, your heart is deceitful above all things. These people's hearts were deceiving them. We believe in Jesus, they thought. Their heart is deceitful. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? You know what he's saying there when he's asking, who can understand it? He's not waiting for one of us to go, oh, I can. That's not the point. The point is, nobody can understand. We cannot understand, truly understand our hearts because it's deceitful and it's sick. So here's the thing. Over and over and over in our culture... We're told, follow your heart. Follow your heart, Mr. James. Just follow your heart. It's beautiful. 
It's ridiculous, and it's against Scripture. And if we look around at our culture, as we continue to say, follow your heart, look where our culture's going. A little more deceitful, a little more sick, just being honest this morning. Right? Why? Because people are following their hearts and they don't have new hearts yet. I, the Lord, search the heart. The question is, who could understand it? None of us, but here's what the Lord says. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. There's one who can understand the heart. And that's God. We have to be very careful to not buy in to the narrative going on around us that you need to follow your heart. And ultimately, whatever makes your heart happy is what you should do. (laughs) Be very careful. Be very careful. So Jesus does not entrust himself to them, even though they believe, because there's not real belief there. Because he knows what's in their hearts. He knows that their hearts are deceitful. You tracking with me so far? Okay. So now we go into what's interesting is he's talking about this, what's happening, and then he goes to a specific case for us. Okay? We just see the author here, John. He's writing about these things, that their people are believing, but Jesus is entrusting himself to them, and then he gets to a specific case with a man called Nicodemus. Verse 1, chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He's a Pharisee, which we've talked about many times. Ed's taught on this in Sunday school. Doug a little as well. It means he's, a, he's the religious guy. We're going to find out he's a teacher. like He's the big dog when it comes to who knows the Old Testament, the Scriptures. He's one of them. He's big. He's important. One of the, the Jews, those who have been asking, going to John and trying to find out who John is and wondering what Jesus is doing in the temple. That's, he's from that group. This man came to Jesus by night. We'll get that out in a second. And said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So he's coming to him again. It's talking about the signs, which again, in some cases, truly do help point people to Jesus. But the thing is, sometimes we get caught up more in the signs than we do the one who's doing them. We get caught up in the gifts more than the gift giver. So he comes at night, and I think this is interesting. There's a lot of you know, different commentators and things. Why is it at night? Some say, oh, well, the rabbis would study at night. I think what's interesting is it's possible, and I think likely that he didn't want to be seen by everybody else. I think he's like, hmm, I'm not sure. I need to go check this, this Jesus out, but I don't want other people to know. How many of us question today? How many of us are in this category? How many of us are in this category to where oh, we're good with following Jesus as long as we're with other Christians? Because they're going to be for me following Jesus, but when I'm not with other Christians, I back off a good bit because they're not for that. Now again, the question is, what's he really seeking here? And that's where we're going to get to as we unpack this. But he goes by night. What else, else is interesting about that is I think he goes at night. I think what John's doing is it's a little bit, um, a little bit funny, in, in actually, because light and darkness is constantly talked about throughout the Gospel of John. I think he's going at night, and it's actually showing his spiritual state. He's lost. And he doesn't get it. He thinks he's going to learn and be secretive. I think what ultimately John's saying here is he's going at night because he's lost and he has no idea what's going on. Even though 
he's the big teacher, the religious person, the one you would go to when you want to know what in the world is Numbers 5 talking about? Go to him. Even though that's the guy, he's lost and has no idea what's going on. So he says, your rabbi, which is, now this is the teacher, and he's calling you Jesus rabbi. So we talked about that before. That's a pretty big deal. They're showing some respect there. We know that you are a teacher from, come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's not the exact flow of that conversation that you would have expected. But what, again, does Jesus know? He knows the hearts. Nicodemus is coming to talk about the kingdom of God. He wants to talk about the kingdom of God. So even though he comes up and he's, Nicodemus is giving him, you know, flattering him some, maybe not in a negative way even, we know that you're this teacher. And Jesus' response isn't, yeah, thank you, or anything like that. He just gets straight into, oh, I'm the teacher. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you something right now. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, or a good translation or understanding would be born from above, would be a way of understanding that. He cannot see the kingdom of God. He gets right to the heart of Nicodemus' question. I want to know about the kingdom of God. Buddy, you ain't, you ain't ready for the kingdom of God because you're not born again yet. Nicodemus doesn't even know what that means. <laughs> She's like, you're the big teacher. All right, let me teach you some things today. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Commentators aren't sure. Is he like really confused about this? Or is he kind of taking a little bit of a shot at Jesus here? Seems to be more that. I mean, this is the big teacher. He would understand what's going on. Surely he's not thinking that Jesus is saying, oh, oh yeah, you might have to be back in the womb and come out again. It seems more like he's you know, kind of playing here a little bit. Oh, is that what this is about? He doesn't get it. He thinks he understands the scriptures very well, but he doesn't. Verse 5, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you. Now he gets a little more specific to explain it, because guess what? Nicodemus isn't getting it. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Again, still that kingdom mindset. So now this... Begs the question, what in the world? I want to be born of water and spirit. What does that mean? Nicodemus would want to know. We would want to know what in the world is being talked about here. A couple different options out there. I'll give them to you, and I'll tell you which one I think is the the correct one. Some would say that being born of the water and of the spirit is the first birth that we have whenever children come out, the amniotic fluid. That, That is the idea of that water, and then the spirit is of God. That's the first interpretation, that it's a, you need to be born naturally, and then you need to be born spiritually. Possible? I don't think that's the best interpretation. The second, a lot of times people will say, is, oh, to be born of the, the water and the Spirit means baptism. And you have to have the Holy Spirit. Like, real baptism with the water. Not baptism of the Holy Spirit, but they would argue you have to be baptized, some type of purification there, And then you have to have the Holy Spirit. So if you do not have baptism, you would not be saved. I don't think that's what he's talking about here. I think Jesus is picking up on something in the Old Testament, which he does common. 
and especially when he's talking to one who is supposed to be the master of the Old Testament. Turn to Ezekiel 36 for me. Ezekiel 36. This is also what was read this morning. Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel... Again, this is Ezekiel thirty six twenty two. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. Again, realize the Lord is jealous for his glory in his name. He is. And you know what? Yes, God is jealous and he's allowed to be because he owns everything. And he, he deserves all the glory and all the praise. When he doesn't get it, he's allowed to be jealous for that. Guess what? We're not really allowed to be jealous for much. There are some things, perhaps, like if some guy's trying to talk to Heather. <laughs> my wife, for those of you who don't know. Maybe he knows she's my wife and he's over there trying to get her phone number. I'm going to be a little bit jealous about that. We're going to talk. That's when that... That righteous anger is going to come out. We talked about. Okay, no. All right, let's get back to it. Um, And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. Oh, I hope this is not said of our church. I hope this isn't. I know this is speaking of Israel in particular, but I pray that this is not what the Lord would say of us, that we're profaning his holiness and his name among those who are lost. I pray that we're making much of his name and glorifying him so people see that. That's a side note. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Now listen, this is a promise that, of the new covenant. This is what God will do. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Do you hear the water in there? I think this is what he's talking about. I think what he's talking about here is this purification that only God brings and that's what's needed to be born again, this purification. Listen to this, verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. Do you see it? born of the water and of the Spirit, getting this new heart. That's what it means to be born again. You have a new heart. You've been cleansed by God, and he puts his Spirit inside of you, the Holy Spirit, to live inside of you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's what happens. That's what happens if you truly believe in Jesus, not believe like those other people who don't really believe. But when you do, he cleanses you. Ultimately, this is by the blood of Christ. He cleanses you. He gives you a new heart. He gives you his spirit to live inside of you, and you're a new creation. And now you're to walk as a new creation. You tracking with me? Does that make sense? I believe that's what Jesus is teaching. Now, Ezekiel, is that in the Old Testament or the New Testament? Old 
the Old Testament. So, Nicodemus, should he know this? He should, but apparently he doesn't. See, Nicodemus was part of a group who tried to get their righteousness by works. We're going to be holier than everybody else, and we're going to keep the law, and then we're going to make more laws, and then keep those laws, and then we're going to make even more laws that go beyond God's law, and then we're going to keep those too. Where in all actuality, inside, they weren't keeping any of them. They were breaking God's law inside, and they were doing it out of pride so everybody else would think that they're great. Why I said that this is scary is, I wonder if we do this as Christians. If we try to get our holiness based upon our works. I'm a pretty good person. Well, I'm not as bad as that person. It's not how salvation works. So back to John 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What basically he just said is, everything you've been teaching, Nicodemus, is wrong. And what you truly need is a miracle of God through faith. Verse 6, that way, Jesus continues on, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Again, we've talked about this before, even... In John chapter 1, where it's talking about the Word becoming flesh, there are things that are from this world that are stuck to this world, and there's things that are spiritual and heavenly, and they're stuck to the heavenly things. They don't cross over. When you try to earn your salvation, you are doing things in the flesh, and that it does not connect with things of the Spirit, and you cannot be saved. Those people... We're believing in Jesus, but still relying on the things of the world, the things of the flesh, to try to be saved. They didn't get it. Here's my question and my concern. Could that be you today? Could you understand mentally that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, for your sins, and after three days he rose for your salvation, your justification, and he's at the right hand of the Father, and one day he's coming back? Could you understand that? Yes. Could you understand that and truly believe it and depend and put everything on that for your salvation? Yes, you could. My concern is there are some of you who understand that but are still putting all your hopes on your good works. And you think you know Jesus, but you don't. That's what I'm scared of. Well, how do I know if I'm a Christian? I have five things that may be helpful. I think there may be more, but maybe some little... Signs that show that you might be a Christian. Ultimately, God knows your heart. Ultimately, God knows. Okay? Part of what we're here for is to help us grow in Christ with one another and affirm to be able to say, the best I can tell, Miss Alice, you're a Christian. The best I can tell. Now, I'm not going to ever say, you are or you're not. That's not for me. That's God. He judges. But we do want to affirm one another. The best I can see, you're following Jesus. Hey, in this area, it looks like you might not be following Jesus. Repent of that. Here's a couple things. Christians who truly understand want to be saved from their sin, not just from hell. It's not anybody, if you say, oh, do you want to go burn forever? Or would you rather do something else? I'd rather go do something else. It doesn't mean you're a Christian just because you don't want that. But does your sin give you any trouble? 
don't want to be a sinner anymore. Miss Barbara, we've talked about it. She's mentioned it before. This, this fight that we constantly have against our flesh, against Satan, against the world, I'm tired of it. I want to go home. I don't have this anymore. Is that your heart? Do you want other people to know Jesus and, and see His glory? Do you care? Are you passionate for His glory? If you're not a Christian, you're probably not. Truly. Like, honestly. Deep down, you probably don't care that much. This is interesting. Do you love His Word? Like, do you love the Word of God? Now again, someone say, well... I don't know, sometimes I'm not really interested. Well, again, your heart may be a bit calloused because you haven't been in the Word, but what's interesting is the more you're in the Word, generally speaking, the more you want the Word. The more you're in the Word, the more you want the Word. Do you love His Word? Do you want His Word? Do you want to be with His people? Now, I know there's a few in here. That can be difficult. I'm not even going to say which ones you are. (laughs) It's for you all to figure out. Now, I can be difficult to love. I understand that. But... In spite of that, do you still want to love me because we both are, we all are followers of Jesus? Do you want to be with his people? Do you want to be with his word? Be in his word? Do you want to talk to him? Do you want to pray? If you don't have any of those desires, I'm scared for your soul. When you are confronted with the word of God and sin, do you repent? Not with earthly sorrow. That, oh, I'm so upset. And then you're back to doing it immediately. Doesn't mean repentance, godly repentance, worldly repentance. People can look like it was godly repentance with a lot of tears, broken heart, all these things. The difference is, do you make a, have a change of mind, which results in a change of action, that you start following Jesus and turn away? When you're confronted with your sin, do you just dig your feet in and start to give reasons for why you do it? Well, I wouldn't have gotten angry. But Tracy made me get angry. It's Tracy's fault. Not true. Just an example. Or do you go, yeah, I had sin. I had anger in my heart. God, please forgive me. Do you even care about your sin and want to repent? I don't know. Do you truly want God and not his gifts? Again, if Jesus is not in heaven, but there are streets of gold... Pearly gates, no more pain, suffering, all of that. But God himself, Jesus, is not there. Do you want to be there? Or you're like, no, I'll take wherever he is. Because that's what I care about. A couple questions to ask yourselves. Continuing on. Verse 7. Do not marvel, Jesus says, that I said to you, you must be born again. He's like... Don't marvel at that. You should have known that from Ezekiel. Don't marvel about that. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Ultimately saying you cannot truly understand the wind and all about it, but what you do see are the effects of the wind. And the same is true with God's Spirit. We don't understand all of God's Spirit and how salvation works, but I'll tell you what, you can see the effects of it in people's lives. I see the effects in your lives, and I'm encouraged. And at the same time, I want to make sure that you hear the warning, don't be those who believe, but Jesus will not entrust himself to you because you don't truly believe. Last section here. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? I just love it. You guys, this is the biggest teacher possible. 
He just doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. Which is encouraging because I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I feel like I'm the dumbest person on the planet. But with God's Spirit and His grace in my life, I can understand the things of God. Not because I'm great, but because He is. Jesus answered him. Now we see Jesus getting a little pointed. Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Again, he expected Nicodemus to know this. How could he expect that? Because it was in the Old Testament, I believe. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. This goes back to about where Jesus was talking about. He's the one who came to his own and his own rejected him. They knew him not. We see this happening right here. Jesus continues, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. What he's saying here, again, that Son of Man, which reminds us of Daniel 7, which is prophecy about Jesus. But what he's saying here is there's nobody else who's going to give you insight like I can give you because I'm the only one who really knows. And you're not really trusting me. Now it gets into this last part, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That was also read, if you remember, this morning. And ultimately, these, because of their grumbling, because of their complaining, because of their unbelief, these serpents are coming and they're biting. And it's bringing death. And he says, all right, here's what you, they cry out and say, help us, makes this serpent, God tells him, lift it up. And when you're, when you're bit by something, oh, the serpent gets you and it's going to bring death to you, look up. Look up and you'll be saved. Again, Nicodemus should know this passage as well. And we should too. What Jesus now is saying, what you don't understand, Nicodemus, is you're saying, I don't even know how this is possible to be born again. What Jesus is saying, I'll give you the answer. Look to me. When I'm lifted up, ultimately this is the idea of him being lifted up on the cross. And that's ultimately what's saying when he is in his glory. Because again, it is a glorious thing for the one who created everything, the one who's sinless, to die on a cross. Because it can't hold him. He may die, but he rose. So what he's saying is the way actually for this to happen, for you to get a new heart, Nicodemus, for you to be sprinkled clean, to be purified, to be filled with God's Spirit, what you do is you look to the one who's lifted up on the cross. And you won't die. You will be saved for eternal life. And what that ultimately means, remember we talked about this in John 17, eternal life isn't just being living forever in heaven. It's to know God and to know His Son whom He sent. That's eternal life. And He's saying, if you want that, anybody can have it who looks up at the cross. So here's what we do with this. If you're not a Christian, if you think, well, I I believe in Jesus, but I don't know if I've really believed in Jesus where I've given up everything on my own. I'm not going to try this any longer. I'm not playing any games. Guys, this is a serious thing. If I was up here and I had a revolver and I put a bullet in there playing Russian roulette up here, you would tell me, don't do that, right? I hope you would. If you're familiar with that game, won't go into too many details with the young ones. 
I would hope you would say, don't do that. That's dangerous. You may die. Here's what we're saying today. Don't do this. It's dangerous. You will die. Look to the Son. If you've done that already, you said, I've I've looked to Him, but maybe my heart's a bit callous. Guess what? The answer is the same. Look to the Son. If you're like, I I need more guidance in my life. I need to know what I do. I've got this, this stronghold, it feels like, in my life. I'm struggling with this sin, whatever it is. Guess what? The answer is exactly the same. Look to the one who's been lifted up. Let's pray. God of all grace, you, again, have been so kind to answer our prayer to hear from you today. God, right now, I pray for my family, my faith family. I pray for my friends. I pray for those in here, Lord, who may not truly know you yet, Lord. They, they've been playing this game of, yeah, yeah, I've, I follow Jesus, but deep down they know that they really don't. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them and you would entrust yourself to them and their life would be different. But Lord, for those who are here and they have entrusted their lives to you and you've entrusted your life to them, Lord, we thank you for that and we praise you for that because as Ashton said earlier, we know that's a miracle. Yes, you've worked in our hearts in such a way that we chose you, but Lord, we know that you, you died for us, you call us, and we love you because you first loved us. Lord, for anyone who's, who's struggling here today, who is having trouble loving your word or loving others or wanting more out of this life and, instead of just wanting to follow you, God, I pray that all of us together would look to Jesus who's lifted up. And as we gaze at his beauty and his love and his grace, that it would change our perspectives and it would turn our worlds upside down and we would go all out in following you. No darkness. We want to follow you in the darkness, Lord. We want to follow you in the light. We want to be a light to this community and to this world. Help us do this in Jesus' name. Amen.